the Lord be with you. And it's joy to come and share with you the Word of God. And in these last couple of weeks, we have titled what I've said, Limitless, Limitless Love, Limitless Salvation. And that isn't to be sort of, uh, what, preacher cute. Um, It is a simple fact that as soon as we touch the things of God, then we enter into the world of the unlimited. Uh, The maybe more professional word would be the infinite. Uh, that, that to which we can put no bounds. We can't uh, put a, a mileage marker on it. And so when we come to love, uh, limitless love, uh, there is no limit that we can put upon God's love. And so with his salvation. And I want to look tonight at limitless praise. Because if I understand the love of God... Well, maybe that's too strong a word. If I I just have a glimpse of the love of God, then I enter into a world, uh, a new lifestyle of praise and thanksgiving. And if I just begin to see his salvation, in a sense, it leaves me speechless with nothing but thanksgiving and praise welling in my heart. And so without excuse limitless praise and thanksgiving and just to uh, kind of bring that down into focus in Ephesians in chapter 5 where he begins to speak of being filled with the Spirit in verse 18 be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which are probably meaning songs inspired by the Holy Spirit that you share one with another, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, in your heart. So even if you are in a situation where it can't reach the mouth, your heart is singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then in verse 20, uh, there's only a comma after that, so let me read it as a sentence. Hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so really there you have what I want to get at and get at is the word here, giving thanks always for all things. If that isn't limitless praise, I don't know what is. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then flip over to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, where he's uh, coming into land, if you like. He's he's wrapping up the epistle. And and so he shoots out what could be the uh, commands which would lead us to the fullness of the Christian life. And in the middle of those series of commands, I'm not going to um, read all of them, but just right in the middle of them, verse 18 of chapter 5, Thessalonians, he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, you've got some very heavy stuff here. Uh, everything which ties in, we're back there in Ephesians, where it says, always for all things giving thanks. Now it's in everything give thanks. And then the summary phrase, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Some people spend all their lives seeking the will of God. And if we would uh, understand what he just said there uh, and fill our lives with praise, that will be the end of all our problems as to what we think about the will of God. We will be walking right in the middle. So, always, in everything, under all circumstances, give thanks to the Father. Now, 
understand, and I think you do understand, but let me say it anyway, that this is not a formula for successful living. I wouldn't say that, wouldn't bother to, unless I'd heard persons who put that forward, that if we would say praise to God, then we would have a successful life. Well, of course, that is true. Do not misunderstand me. I suppose it's the way it is said that I have to put this caution, that it is not a formula. This giving thanks at all times, under all situations, for everything is not a formula for successful living, but rather it is the working out of the relationship that we have with the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. And that, of course, is life itself. That is eternal life. Or a better idea of that would be that that dimension of life, which is God life in me. Uh, Yeah, the, the working out of that relationship, that love relationship that we have with the Father. It is a continual uh, praise in giving thanks to God. And not a formula, though, uh, because unless we have this relationship of heart, then it is the, the worst kind of legalism. Now, the first thing that arrests me about the verse there in Ephesians, and we could repeat this in other verses, but I think it's, it's right in our face there, in, in verse 19 that we read, it's verse 20, it says, giving thanks for all things to God the Father. Now, there is a sense in which I would like to spend the whole hour talking about that. For the simple reason I find in conversation with believers wherever I go that they have a very fuzzy idea of where God the Father fits in. And so we find among many of our evangelical friends uh, they are centered upon Jesus. Everything's Jesus. Now there's no... Please don't misunderstand me, that in all things he, Jesus, indeed might have the preeminence. Uh, But that's not the focus of the New Testament. And if our focus is on Jesus alone, then we are missing the richness of our relationship with the Father. Then, of course, I come among my charismatic friends and everything is the Holy Spirit. And again, I say indeed, as I've said many times on these broadcasts, that uh, without the Holy Spirit, we are not going to begin to live the sort of salvation that is revealed in the New Testament. But the Holy Spirit is not the focus. This may be shocking to some, but the Father, God the Father, is the focus of our salvation. Look, the the verse that we probably heard it before we were believers. In fact, if ever we knew one verse in the Bible, we knew, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, just think about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if you were to read all of of, uh, 1 John, uh, sorry, John, the gospel, you, you would understand Jesus describes himself as the only, the one and only, the unique son of the Father. And so he can only call himself son because he relates to God the Father. And the Father can only speak of himself as Father because he relates to God the Son. So that Jesus is God from God, the Son from the Father. 
Now, then having said that, go back for God, God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. So Jesus is here. Jesus came. Or the favorite word of Jesus was that he was sent by the Father. Now, just let that sink in, because I I hear, in fact... I, I tuned in to a program that shall remain anonymous. And I mean, you know how it goes. You tune in just at that minute. Uh, it, was a, it was a Christian television station. And just the minute that I tuned in, this chap was saying that, that God was so angry with us. God the Father couldn't stand us. And so he punished Jesus in order to get his anger out on Jesus instead of us. I suppose with preaching like that, it's no wonder you tried to avoid the Father. Um, what I heard in the few minutes that I was able to listen, before I just had to turn it off, but uh, in those few minutes, what I heard concerning God the Father portrayed him as an abusive father. Today, in any decent country, he would be arrested for child abuse. No, uh, you see, we've got it wrong. We've got it as if Jesus came here to protect us from the Father. Jesus came to, to sort of rescue us from this angry God who was foaming at the mouth and just waiting to get his hands on us, and Jesus rescued us. That, my friend, even though I know the people who say it love the Lord... But that sort of stuff borders on sheer paganism. The Father, the Father loved you. The Father unbeginningly loved you. Before he created you, he created you out of his love in order to love. The Father loves you, said Jesus. The Father himself loves you, said Jesus. And then in 1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold, and that's an old English word, which means open your eyes, stare, gaze in wonder. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. It's the Father. The Father, can I say, wanted you with an eternal longing. He wanted you into his family. And Jesus, the Son, who is the exact image of the Father, God from God. He comes sent by the Father to lay hands upon you and I in order to bring us to the Father. And the Holy Spirit sent of the Father and of the Son comes in order to bring that love into us to be the arms of God embracing us and telling us in our hearts that we're home. Or what about Romans 8? He that spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? That's the Father. The Father. Now, of course, Jesus revealed the Father. He revealed the very nature of God. I mean, I just said it. He, he called God his Father. And in the same breath said that he was the unique Son who was co-equal with him in our humanity. And then said that another was coming who would be 
totally equal to himself, equal then to the Father, and with no separate agenda but speaking the mind of the Father and the Son. And the only word that we over the centuries have been able to come up for that union is Trinity, one God. But I meet him in three persons, not three gods, one God, but I meet him, I say, in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is not mystery math. You know what I mean? Some sort of idiotic math where three is really one. No, 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 stop all of that. This isn't about numbers. This is the mystery of love. For love must love someone. And the beloved responds. Love, by its definition and nature, is give and take and respond and love, unless it becomes obsessive, must reach out. And, and so love of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father then reaches out in the Holy Spirit. What you have, Jesus revealed that God is the original family. It says that in Ephesians 3, what is it, verse 14. It's after the Holy Trinity that all families of the earth are named. And he also, when he said the word Father, I've been using the word Father, but I think most of you know that in the language that he spoke, he used the word Abba, which is as close to our word Daddy as we can get, yet it holds with it maybe a great deal more respect, but um, Daddy, Papa, Papa, Daddy, Jesus said, that's who God is, Abba, his Papa, his Daddy. And he sends the Son, Jesus, in order to reveal, reveal within our humanness what God is like, because we could never have fathomed that. We never thought he was love to begin with, let alone three in one who are the very furnace of giving and taking and receiving and expressing and celebrating love, the mystery of love. And so the Son came to tell us what Abba was like. And so Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen Abba. He is, says Colossians 1.15, he is the perfect visibilization of the invisible God. To have seen Jesus is to have seen Abba. Now that upsets a lot of people's theology because wherever I meet Jesus, he is moved with compassion. He weeps over our pains and our griefs. He said he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And he speaks uh, of being sent, but in being sent he comes in the very love of God himself to lay hold upon us, to actually enter into our death and carry us in resurrection to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the one who pours out the love of God into our heart. The Holy Spirit, who at a level that is deeper than our intellect, announces in our hearts, Abba, Daddy, so so that he's the one who bears witness that we are the children of God. Oh, Father, Father, you see, Father of the family, Jesus, revealer of the Father, the way to the Father. That's what he came to do, take us to the Father. And so he said, no one comes to the Father but by me. He is the way. He came to lay hold of us. And as we're joined to him, he carries us to the Father. Put that all together, and there's a lot of wonderful thoughts there. Because Abba, Daddy, Papa, I mean, 
We're talking intimacy there. You see, you're not talking here primarily about the judge of the whole universe. He is the judge. Of course he is. Um, but but that, that's not prime here. The Abba, Abba, the, the, this is the intimate moment of child with daddy. Abba. And Jesus said that we, in our conversation with God, were to call him Daddy because he gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer, which begins our Abba. Because we can say it with such religiosity, with such piety, with, with such a monotone droning it out, our Father who art in heaven. That's okay if that's where your head's at. But in fact, what it is, is our Papa, our Daddy, who art in heaven. That's at the very center of our faith, that you and I can speak to God and call him Daddy. In fact, when Jesus had accomplished his work of doing this very thing, uh, of becoming the, the human becoming where we are and then taking us to himself and entering our death so that this rebellious self for self I is put to death and he rises triumphant, human, no longer twisted, distorted by Satan's lie. He's conquered that, placed it in the grave, and now he rises. Do you remember the first words that he spoke to Mary at the tomb? He said, I ascend. Oh, listen to this. I ascend. See, see I, I was sent. I came. I did what I came to do for my father. Now I'm going back home and bringing with me the fruits of what I've done. That, that's the basic. So he said, I ascend. I'm going home. I ascend to my father, my Abba. Well, you see, they'd heard that a thousand times. My Abba, my Abba, my Abba. But now he says something that essentially he had not said before. What he now says is because he has died, carried us in our twistedness and in our self-centeredness, he's taken us to death, and now he rises and he says, I ascend to my Abba and your Abba. Wow. He said, as I have called him Abba, as I have known him as Abba, now you can know him as your Abba. Interestingly, just in case anyone was thinking it, he still said, my Abba and your Abba, for he is the unbegun God, the Son. And therefore, his relationship to God the Father is unique, my Abba. But now he includes us. We don't merge into a blob with him. We're still us. But by sheer gift and because of what he's done, he says, he's your Abba. You share my Abba. And then he said, in case you missed it in what I've just said, he then says, go and tell my brothers. That is, the disciples, go and tell my brothers. He is saying, you now are my brothers and sisters in the Trinity family. I, I hope that you're getting this. He's your father you are his child, which means in this family of the Father, Jesus is our brother. Jesus is your brother. 
and has carried you into Abba's family. And he presents you to Abba and says, I brought them home. I did as you sent me to do. And we are engulfed in the love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father, Abba. The Father. I mean, the true meaning of fatherhood, which is so absent from our society today, but the truth of of a father in a family, the father is the voice that gives us our identity without going any further into that. There are millions here in, in the U.S. anyway who essentially wander for much of their life not truly knowing who they are and trying to invent themselves as to the person they think they maybe are, should be are, that they, they have no identity, no anchor in who they are. And so they latch on to gangs and they latch on to many other identities that are as empty and hopeless as a spider's web. Anything to give me some identity. Because identity comes from the voice of the father in the family. That's where direction comes from. The voice of the father. Father, Abba, that means the protection of the family. He's the one who provides for the family, Abba. And in days when this was understood, obedience to the Father was what held the family together. Incredible. Our God is family and he's Abba. And he gave his son to become one of us to show us how it works. So that the father said to Jesus, you are my beloved son. And he gave Jesus his identity in a public fashion. He gave Jesus his direction through the Holy Spirit So Jesus said, I do what my Abba says. I I, I do his works. Abba protected him. Abba was the one who provided and through him gave to the thousands the bread and the fish. And obedience for love always is obedient. And obedience in Gethsemane comes to its its nth degree. And we have been born again into this family of limitless love. And when I say that, I mean our total selves, not some invisible part of us, but I in my, my totality of being, which includes where I live, it includes my neighborhood, it includes my workspace, it includes everything. Now it's Abba. He's the anchor. He's the one who gives identity. He's the one who gives direction. Abba, Father. I I hope you've picked it up but let me say this very clearly because it must be said somewhere when we say the word father please understand me I care not if you had the best father in the world or the worst God the father the heavenly father is not imaged in your father you will never find God the father through your earthly father. Never. If you think that God the Father is like your best father, you're wrong, hopelessly wrong and off track in a wilderness. And as so many shy away from God the Father because their earthly father was abusive to the nth degree, I can understand your tragedy. 
But God the Father isn't like your earthly father. My own children, I told them, never think of God the Father as being like me. No, Jesus said, when the disciples said to him, show us the Father, what's he like? And Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Forget your earthly father. We have come to the Father who revealed himself, who spoke himself in Jesus Christ. Okay. It says then, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. So, God is our Abba. Now it says, we give thanks. All things, under all circumstances, we give thanks. Now, I I believe I've talked about this a little bit before, but let me quickly say that this word thanks in the Bible was specifically in the New Testament, giving of thanks. And you'll find it scattered through the New Testament. It's a little bit, just a tad bit different to our English word thanks. I mean, if, if you do something for me or you give me something, I respond by saying thank you. That's how we use the word. But in the New Testament, the word is used to give thanks for the person rather than something they've done or or some gift they've given. It, It was giving thanks to the person, the way they are. The way they are that's indeed been again further revealed through what they've done or through the gift they've given. But the thanks, the thanks is thanking the person that they are the person they are. That that must be understood. We, we're not thanking God merely for his gifts. We are primarily thanking him that he is the kind of God that would give such gifts. The the gifts take on their meaning as being a reflection of who he is. Give thanks. Now, when we read this whole passage, or at least part of it, being filled with the Spirit, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs given by the Spirit, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things. That's quite a mouthful. Giving thanks is not just, shall I say, a liturgical matter. This isn't something you do just when you go to church. It isn't something you do when you sing out of the hymn book. It's not something you do because the pastor said everybody raise their hands and praise the Lord. This obviously, if I take two whole verses that attempt to describe what this means, let let me say that it is something of the heart to begin with. It must begin in the heart. As I said at the top, it's not a formula. This is relationship. We've come to know the Father, and we are coming to know the Father. And the only response that is adequate for knowing him is to give thanks. That God is more incredible than I could ever imagine. I thought I'd seen the limit last week, but then again you come the next day and the next hour, more and more you realize there's this incredible God. And and so it begins in the heart relationship. The Father loved you and gave him gave you his son, and the son loved you and, and loved you. In, in such a fashion that he's actually giving to you the love of the Father. 
The Holy Spirit is the love of the Father poured out in your heart. So it begins in our heart. And that's why there are times, plenty of times, where just of necessity we do not express words of praise because um, it, it would be the wrong place. But uh, our heart never stops. Always there is that uprising within us of praise to this God. But it does overflow into our mouth. And, and that's what, uh, there's a lot here uh, that, that says that. Um, it, it comes in declarations. And, and declarations of who God is when I'm being faced with situations, faced with suggestions that he's anything but that. When, when, when all the suggestions and all the setup of the evil one would, would cause my senses to say that God is not good, that God is not love, and all the other horrendous things that bombard our head, and so then we declare, we state, sometimes against what our senses are reporting, that God is good, God is love. And even though my intellect does not understand it in this moment, I declare it because it is the final truth. Another word that is used uh, in thanksgiving is confession which we've always associated with sin, good old religion. The, the word confess means to say the same thing as. To confess is to say with God what God is saying. And so when we confess in terms of thanksgiving, we are saying with Jesus what he says about the Father. We're saying with the Father what he says about himself and about Jesus. Confession. There are many times in the scripture where it speaks of thanksgiving as a shout of triumph. It's spoken of, and of course, here in these verses in Ephesians, speaks of it in terms of singing. It flows over our mouths. The fact is, this word giving thanks in the New Testament is bringing all the words of the Old Testament for praise and thanksgiving all into one word. And I don't have time to go through all the words in the Old Testament that are generally translated as praise. Because there are so many of them and they show so many different, slight different aspects of praise. Well, they're all brought together into the New Testament, into one word, generally, the word thanks. And so, as you go into the Psalms and you hear the psalmist singing and shouting, yes, yeah, shouting, and being glad and rejoicing in the Lord... That all comes down in the New Testament to this word, giving of thanks. And so it not only spills over into the mouth, but it spills over into the hands. Because the Old Testament is full of it. The raising of the hands to God. And you can look at that in more ways than one. It's, it's the little toddler who raises hands to Daddy and runs. You've seen it, you've experienced that. Raising of the hands. It's, it's as if I'm taking the very guts of my being and I'm offering them up to Abba. And, and, and it speaks of clapping of the hands, which is the applause at the greatness of God. And also... By this time, I know some of you are shocked anyway. Let's push you over the edge. It speaks of dancing, dancing before the Lord, letting this unspeakable thanks to God that's beyond words. So it gets into my hands, it gets into my feet. And at the same time, it speaks of kneeling, 
when one feels the greatness of God who is love, that all we can do is physically kneel to give thanks to him. And even it speaks of prostrating ourselves before him. And to do all of the above with every instrument that you can lay hands on. And you can read them in the book of Psalms. Um, I mean, if if you read Psalms, you'll come across it sooner or later. From the basic uh, guitar, which they call a lyre sort of thing, uh, but also the drums and the trumpets and everything. But also giving of thanks. Well, you see, if you give thanks for who the person is, then it's a given that you are saying that this person is what is the standard, is the absolute of life. Otherwise, you wouldn't give thanks. You give thanks to God because you are saying his love. And love, God kind of love, is life itself. And so we give thanks not only with words or actions. We give thanks by our general behavior. There's a lot there in what I just said. Because on the negative side, if I am giving thanks to God, I am not complaining. Complaining has two sides to it. On the one hand, complaint is sort of a backhanded way of giving praise to Satan. That he truly has messed up the world and you're giving him the honor for it. Uh, complaining uh, is an expression of the lie because we're saying I'm not as God I can't change life to be the way I want it to be and life the way it is sucks which is also a way of blaming God that he's not doing his job properly complaining and and all the ways in which we look at life with disdain, our grumbling, our murmuring. Oh yeah, it changes. <laughs> Giving of thanks puts a stop over our lips. In fact, there are times persons have told me that they their life was so it was one long self pity, whining, complaining murmur that when they saw the truth of who God our Abba is, it shut them up for weeks. They had nothing to talk about because they hadn't learned the new radical language of the children of God, which is giving thanks to the Father in all things. And therefore, it spills over into our lifestyle. I I cannot give thanks to the Father that he is love while I myself am pursuing a life of bitterness and malice and unforgiveness. You get my point? My, My lifestyle, and many times that's without words, but it becomes giving thanks to God and giving thanks to God at all times, not only when it would be acceptable to all people that you were nice, but now at all times to, what's it say? You you, you bless your enemy. You don't repay evil for evil. All those crazy things that the world looks at you in speechless amazement because you're doing, you're giving thanks to God in the way you act so that, as Jesus said, they see your good works and give glory to Abba in heaven. Oh, yeah. This is big, you see. 
compassion, which was the driving force of Jesus' life. It says in Hebrews 13.5 that as we minister to the poor, as we care for human beings that are kicked into the gutter, it says that's a sacrifice of praise to God. We, we, We are actually bringing into this moment the kingdom of God because we believe this is life. And therefore we imprint a society of death with the resurrection life of Jesus. So praise, giving of thanks, all of it is in proportion to who we see Abba to really be. If you do not see Abba as the fountain of all love, and Jesus, the revelation of Abba, you'll find a life of praise pretty difficult. And that's why many religious people are the most miserable, whining, complaining people on the planet. I say again, our words, our actions, our lifestyle of giving thanks is in direct proportion to who we see Abba, Daddy, Papa, to really be. And of course our praise is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of, in the person of, in the authority of, in union with him. He is not visible to this dimension of life. But we are, and we are in union with him. And so we represent him in this world by a life that honors and gives thanks to the Father. We we are one with him, our brother, in this family of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And if I understand this particular passage that begins by saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit, going right on to say giving thanks always, then when I give thanks to the Father, I am doing so in the instruction, in the inspiration, in the revelation, in the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You see, when when it rises within you, in life just at that moment is not giving you reason to praise or give thanks but there's that rising within you to give thanks to the father where does that rising within you come from from the holy spirit the holy spirit is the one who is the empower of our faith to give thanks to God under every situation and and that rising. And we choose to go with, with, with what the Holy Spirit is saying. And as we do, the Holy Spirit empowers that. And so we give thanks in the strength and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And in the 1 Thessalonians 5 passage I read, right after that, it says, quench not the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you into this life, this radical life, where the language of our life changes and we give thanks to the Father at all times. It's the Holy Spirit who brings that very presence of the Father through Jesus right right into our lives. Very quickly, I see my time is almost over, but let me throw this in. I think it's important. This giving of thanks is not just an odd thing that slightly charismatic people do. Let me say this is the original purpose 
meaning to the life of the human creature in relationship to God, meant to be woven into every part of existence. So much so that when man sinned, it says in Romans in chapter 1, that the very first, the very first result of sin was to be found in, in, in this matter. I'm trying to get there in my Bible, in Romans in chapter 1, and down here in verse 21, it says, now that they, they have sinned, and it says, although they knew God, they, they turned away from him. They're without excuse. Because although they knew God... They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Do you realize what we're talking about here? Thanks, I say again, is not just an oddity of a charismatic. This is basic to our humanity. It was the very first thing to be shattered when mankind sinned he ceased to be thankful and then what was the first result of not being thankful still in verse 21 Romans 1 but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened professing to be wise they became fools you see Adam and Eve, the first couple, the entire human race of Genesis, Adam and Eve, how can I put it? They were placed in the Garden of Eden, which was a place. I mean, it had gates, it had a hedge or something around it, it was a park. You could only get in through the gate. This isn't some fairy story. You should read Genesis again. Um, and the, the rest of the world awaited this human that God had made, male and female, to go into the rest of the world and bring it under the submission. But the garden was made by God himself. And he placed Adam and then Eve into that garden. It, it was a piece of creation that the Father said, this is yours to look after. We'll get to the rest of the world after a bit. So their daily lives were within the circumference of the garden this piece of creation God had given to them specifically. And he gave them directions. Directions as to the eating. We won't go there. But he said uh, the, the most wide applicable command, he says, that they were to keep the garden and tend it. Now that's interesting. I mean... Keep and tend the garden. Keep and tend this piece of creation that I've put into your hands. The word keep, what does it mean? Well, I'll give you straight out of the Hebrew dictionaries. It means to guard. Hmm. It means to protect. It means to attend to. That is, make it your business to do this. Guard and protect it. Make it your business. Attend to it. To watch over as a watchman. Or you could say, to have charge over. You are in charge of this piece of creation. Which fits in with Psalm 115, where the Lord says that the heaven of heavens, they are his business, but he says that I've put mankind in charge of the earth. What, what this word keep tells me that Adam and Eve, in the inception of their lives, before sin came in, 
they were made the guardians of the earth, specifically the piece of the earth where they presently were. Guardians of the earth. I tell you, the word was also used elsewhere to describe shepherds who were keeping their flocks. That is, in, in Bible days, the flocks would be out there on the mountainside and the shepherds would keep watch over them. Same word. Which means that nonstop, it would be a 24-7 thing, uh, shepherds working in shifts. There never would be a time when a shepherd was not patrolling the flock to make sure they had enough food, enough water, and to protect the flock from the predatory animals that would come and kill them. And so the word assumes that there's an enemy out there that is seeking to destroy. Interesting word, especially that it was spoken as the prime command. I mean, this is before sin entered. Adam and Eve, they would be the guardians of this piece of creation. Watch over it, protect it. And, he says, not only keep, but tend. And really, that word could mean your work. You know, you, as I said, the shepherds made sure the sheep had their food and water. And so uh, it, it was um, a job. And, and so tend, uh, they, they would have to make sure that this garden before sin entered, where life was just gushing, so everything was growing at such a rate, um, it would need to be kept. You know, the, the fruit gathered, uh, and, and in order to keep a path there, you'd have to keep back the ever-growing luxuriant vegetation. Uh, that is their work. And it would be perfectly right to say that Adam was a gardener in that sense. But, uh, this is where it gets interesting, this word is used on through the Old Testament. Tend is, as I've got it translated, tend. You keep the garden, but then the second word, tend, yes, it means look after it. But this word is used throughout the Old Testament to describe act of worship giving thanks and praise and service to the Lord which means that their work in the garden was a work of giving thanks and praise to God for his abundant care and that he loved them and visited with them and so on. Put that all together, they were to keep and to tend the garden. That is, they were to be the guardians and they were to guard the garden against their enemy as they worshipped and gave thanks to God. Or you could say they were worshipping warriors. They were guardians and their weapons were giving thanks to God. You and I have been given a piece of creation. It's where you live. It's got boundaries to it, however small they are however big they are. It's the desk at your work. It's your place on the factory floor. It's, it's your place among your neighbors in your society. It's your garden of Eden. That, that's your place. And you have been given the mandate in Jesus Christ to keep it, guard it, that it be the place of the glory of God. Tend it. Do the work you have to do there. For there is no work that is beneath a human. That is your glory as a human that you work. Whatever it is. Before ever you get paid. It's the glory of work. 
But in everything you do, you are giving thanks to God. And your thanks to God is the protection, the guarding of the piece of creation he put into your hands. Well, I've got so much more to say here, specifically about the always and at all times. But I'm, I've, I'm now 15 seconds over time. So we'll have to do this again, won't we? Next week we shall return to this and see what it means that at all times, in all places, under all circumstances, we give thanks to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now the blessing of this incredible God who is love, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, His blessing be upon you. The blessing of knowing Him and the blessing of walking with Him in giving thanks. So I bless you and so it is.